Welcome to the Seashore Church Message of the Week. This message is designed to bring more of heaven into your world today. For more resources like this, or to learn more about our church, visit seashorechurch.com. In a couple of minutes that we have left this morning, I do want to finish out this series um, that we've been doing for the last three weeks on three questions that God asked Adam and Eve in the garden. Three very poignant questions that are actually relevant for us today. So I want to read the scripture that this actually comes from, because I know not everybody's been here over the last two weeks. I know you all get the podcast. I know you all download uh, everything you can, take really great notes. You call each other and talk about the message and pray about it at six o'clock every morning and fast over it to make sure you get everything that God wanted to download to you for the week. But just in case you forgot, we're going to go ahead and read this again this morning. Genesis chapter 2. I'm kidding, of course. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Jump down to verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. We look in Genesis chapter 3, in verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, first question, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, second question, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. The Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. First question we talked about two weeks ago, when God asked Adam, Where are you? This was not a geographical question. It was a relational question. And you know, God doesn't ask questions that he does not already know the answer to. He didn't ask him because God didn't know where Adam was. He asked Adam, where are you? Because Adam didn't know where Adam was. Adam was in a place that was unfamiliar to him. It was a place of shame. 
Shame had not entered the garden until Adam and Eve disobeyed God and sinned. He was in a very unfamiliar place of feeling detached, distanced from God. But God in His grace comes down in the cool of the day, takes a walk and says, where are you? In, In some ways, I think that that's like the first altar call that mankind ever experienced. Adam, where are you? In other words, just come to me. Like, come on, I'm giving you a chance here. I didn't see you eat the apple and then throw a lightning bolt down on you from heaven, which is what Adam actually deserved. But I came down in my grace. We think it's the judgmental God that comes down and goes, Adam, where are you? What did you do? It's the graceful God that comes down and says, Adam, you should have died on the spot. But I'm here at our usual time in our usual place. Man, where are you? What a loving father. I hope I can be a dad like that. So, where are you? The second question they asked Adam. We talked about this last week. When Adam said, I was afraid, so I hid, and I realized I was naked, he said, who told you you were naked? He was trying to see, help Adam see that There's another voice in your garden, Adam. And the voice that told you you were naked, it didn't come from me. I didn't tell you that. I created you naked, but I didn't tell you you were naked. Because, Adam, I don't define you by your nakedness. I define you by your identity as a son, that you are my creation. And I created you to be loved by me. Look at this perfect environment I put you in, this garden. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to work. You don't have to toil. You don't have to pull up any weeds. All you got to do is there's some fruit. I'm going to have that. I'm going to have that. You got everything you need. The purpose of the garden was for me to love you, Adam. So who told you you were naked? There's always another voice in your garden. I wish there wasn't. I wish when I began to hear God clearly for myself, as I, as I sort of learned to do that, as I learned what it meant to have an intimate relationship with Jesus, as I learned that when I surrendered my heart to Him and I stopped trying to live life my way, His voice suddenly became clearer to me. And I realized I thought God's voice was like a burning bush or it was this audible voice from heaven. I never heard any of that. But then I realized that that little whiff of a rose that I smelled in worship, that's God's voice. That little moment when I have a choice as to go this way or that way, and I start to go this way, and the Holy Spirit was like, nah. You ever had that voice of the Holy Spirit? We want the Lord to go, no, go the other way. And instead, He just goes, eh. I'm like, hey, Lord, I'm going to go tell this person that story of what happened to me. And he's like, eh. That was the pizza last night. I just want to let them know about what that other person did to me. And he's like, "Mm." And then I've learned that I need to respond to the, eh, and not look for the, no. Because usually by the time I get to the, no, I'm already too deep. But it's the little nudges and the promptings of the Holy Spirit that goes, hey, why don't you 
Why don't you come pray instead? Instead of telling everybody else how you were wronged, why don't, why don't you just come spend some time with me? But God, the world's got to know that there's people out here like that, and they need to be silenced. And he goes, mm, why don't you spend some time in worship? Because that's the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. If you were to go tell everybody your story of being wronged, yeah, you could do that. But that's fruit from the wrong tree. But I'm right. Oh, so you know right from wrong now. Guess what fruit that tree is from? But instead of gnawing on that, of knowing right and wrong, why don't you come over to the tree of life? Why don't you spend time in prayer? Why don't you spend time in worship? Why? Because, Lord, they got it coming. And I'm just the person. I'll do it in grace. I'll do it in love. He's like, oh, so they deserve my wrath. Don't you? Maybe you've forgotten of what I've forgiven you of. and You just need to come back over here and start eating from the tree of life once again. I think the hard part about this story is you have these two trees and they're both in the middle of the garden. God's intention for Adam and Eve was to just continually go eat from the tree of life. It was provided for them. I don't know what kind of fruit it was, but it was good enough that it had like eternal life in that fruit. And he made it for them. He provided for them intimacy. He provided for them life. He provided for them goodness. It's not like the tree of life didn't taste good, but they had to eat it anyway. I'm sure it was the most delicious thing they'd ever eaten. And in Psalm 23, the Bible does say that you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, which is what Ben so gracefully read out this morning. Psalm 23, 5, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. The hard part about going to eat from the tree of life every day is that you've got to walk past the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's right there. So here I am on my way to the tree of life. Get my fruit. Like, you know when you're going, can you imagine how good this fruit is? You're just like, all I can think about is getting to that tree. Like, I've been going on a walk, I've been to whatever it is, and man, when I get to that fruit, it's going to be so good, I can't wait, I can taste it. In a, this is what it is, I'm convinced this is what the fruit is. In Australia, in January and December, which is summertime in Australia, they have mangoes. Y'all don't know. You think you've had mangoes. You're like, oh yeah, I get them frozen, and I put them in my, no, you, you or you get those ones that are like really sour, and they go from sour to mushy right away. Australian mangoes, you buy a box. I get them by the crate. There's 24 in a crate. And between me and my kids, that lasts two days. And they are the juiciest, most delicious, sweet, fruitful thing you've ever had. Fruitful? Is that a word? Sweetest thing you've ever had in your life. I love. So when I picture the tree of life, I picture this mango tree. I picture, oh man, I just can't wait to go pick this succulent mango. And when you're on the way to the tree of life, all you can think about is how good it's going to be when you get there because you're going to get the very thing that you love. For this table that God set before us 
in Psalm 23, it's the same as that tree of life. It is the place of intimacy. It's not just the fruit of the reward when you get there. It's that when I get to the tree of life, I get to sit down and have a meal with Jesus. I get to sit and have a meal. I got the Father here. I got Jesus here. I got the Holy Spirit here. I know they're three in one, so I don't know. We'll figure that out when we get to heaven, how that all works. All I know is all three of them are there at the same time. I got my father. I got my friend. I got my mother. That'll mess up some theology for you guys, but that's what the Holy Spirit is like for us. And so they're all sitting there together. God is neither male nor female, so don't get stressed out. They're all sitting here at one time, but a mother gives us nurture and educates us, and the Holy Spirit is our comforter, and He guides us into all strengths, So the role of the mother is very similar to the role of the Holy Spirit. If you're having a hard time connecting with the Holy Spirit, maybe forgive your mother. That's another message. We'll get back to this one. So we're sitting here at the table in the presence of our enemies. Why would He set a table there? You know what God's saying? When you come to my table, you're still going to have to walk past the other tree. But the other tree wasn't the enemy, was it? Because I guarantee you, Eve had been walking to that tree every day. Going to the tree, going to the tree, got my table set. Hey, Like, just looking forward to it. Probably never even noticed that there was another tree there. I think Jesus said something about... Not supposed to eat from another tree, but man, this thing is so good. I don't even know what the other tree is. And then the crafty suggestion of an enemy, which is how the enemy works. He comes in and goes, did God really say you're not supposed to eat from the other tree? And it says only when the devil gave her the suggestion that, oh yeah, the old, first he questioned Eve on the accuracy of God's word. Did God really say you're not to eat from any tree of the garden? It's not what God said, is it? He said you can eat anyone but one. First he questions her on the accuracy of her ability to hear. Boy, will the devil question you on your ability to hear from God. Well, surely, Jessica, Romy, they hear from God. But you, I know what you did last week. What makes you think you can hear from God like that? He'll question whether you can even hear him, and then he'll question the accuracy of what you heard. But she gets the accuracy right. So then instead of questioning the accuracy, he questions God's motive. Oh yeah, well, okay, you got it right what he said, but he said that because he knows if you eat from that tree, you'll be just like him, knowing good and evil. As we shared last week, the tragedy of that story was they already were like God. The devil is tempting them with something that they already had. We're made in his image, male and female. He created them. We're already like God. Why would I need to take something to make me like God if I got to sit with him at his table every day and ate from the tree of life? What more did I need? I was in need of nothing until I listened to the crafty suggestion of who I didn't realize at the time was an enemy, whose only goal was to steal, kill, and destroy me. But now when Eve's going to the tree of life, she's like, going to the tree of life, going to the tree of life. Huh. Interesting. Tree of life, tree of hay. 
Next day, she's getting up again, and she's thinking, going to the tree of life, going to the tree of life. What was it that snake said again? Huh. That does look pretty good. I mean, the mangoes are great, but those are peaches. Man, that actually does look pretty good. Interesting comment here. She saw that it was good for gaining wisdom. How did she know that? Because she's moving, she's operating in her spiritual gifts perfectly. That's a word of knowledge, that it's good for wisdom. She has all of these things operating in them perfectly because sin had not yet entered the world. And so she takes of the fruit and she eats of it. She gives it to her husband and she eats. Then she suffers the fruit of her disobedience. The initial fruit of her disobedience, or what the Bible calls sin, is not them being expelled from the garden. It's shame. She knew no shame until she sinned. And that shame caused her to see that she was naked. Dave said something that he had gotten prophetically about the PTSD thing. He said, the enemy will take something that happened to you and he'll form his own picture of it for you. That's my paraphrase version. Was that close? Yes, this reality is what happened, but then he'll paint the picture of what that means. And he'll call you a coward because you didn't go into battle. But in reality, it was an angel that was standing there protecting you from where you were not supposed to go to begin with. Knowing the difference between one of those things is spiritual discernment that comes when you've been sitting at the right table. I know what your voice, I'm not really sure what it is, but it didn't sound like my boys here. And so if you don't sound like what they sound like, you must be an enemy. And I'm not going to listen to what you have to say. When shame enters the garden, everything changes. You see what happened? If I could do like a clock here, I'll do it sort of mirror image facing you. At the top of this clock, you see doubt. They they receive a lie from the enemy and it causes them to doubt. And the doubt eventually led to unbelief. And then unbelief leads to disobedience, which is sin. And the sin leads to shame. Shame wrecks intimacy. It wrecks intimacy with the Father because you view yourself differently and you view Him differently. And because your perspective has changed, It leads right back to doubt again about everything else that God has said. Because when you hear the promises of God, that He wants to sit with you and have a meal with you and feed you from the tree of life, that He wants an intimate relationship with you, when you can't see yourself that way, it causes you to doubt. And doubt leads to unbelief. And unbelief leads to disobedience. Disobedience lives, or disobedience and sin 
leads to shame. And it's this constant cycle of going around from doubt to unbelief to sin to shame to doubt to unbelief to sin to shame. Something has to break the cycle. I wish you'd hear this probably more than anything else. Your own will will not break that cycle. Simply choosing to think differently will not break the cycle. When you end up in a place of shame, what everybody else says about you isn't going to break the cycle. When you post on social media how you've been wronged, have you ever had somebody go, you may have been wronged, but you need to repent from putting this on here and ask forgiveness because you're in the wrong. No! Everyone goes, you're right. That's so terrible. I can't believe they did that to you. You're an angel. You've never did anything wrong. Why? Or you get haters. I know people get those sometimes. Um, but if I'm looking to others to end the shame that's on me, it can't break the cycle. Something has to change. Something supernatural has got to step in to break the cycle of sin and shame. Jesus did that on the cross for you and for me. He broke it. When the lie created doubt and the doubt created unbelief and unbelief created disobedience and the disobedience led to shame, my intimacy was destroyed. God did not intend for us to live seeing our own nakedness as something that was wrong. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, before all this happened, it said that Adam and his wife were both naked and felt no shame. So they'd always been naked, in case you're wondering. Like all these, you know, the, the, like the, the, the holy pictures and paintings you see of Adam and Eve in the garden, and all happy and they got their fig leaves on. No. The fig leaves came after the fall. The fig leaves were like... They were naked and felt no shame. It was only when sin entered the world that the view of themselves had completely changed. And God is saying, what have you done? What have you done? But what have you done isn't just about eating the fruit. But you're hiding from me. Here I am walking in the garden on another invitation of intimacy with me. And you've covered yourself and you've hidden. By the way, who are the fig leaves for? They're not just hiding from God. They're hiding from each other. You see, when sin enters the picture, the shame is not just created between your intimacy with God. It's also created and wrecked the intimacy with each other. So that's why when Jesus came and he paid the price for our sins on the cross and redeemed us back to even better than Adam and Eve had it, they ask him, what are the greatest two commandments? And he goes, oh, that's easy. Love God and love others. Because when shame enters, you'll hide from God and you'll hide from others. And hiding is not love. If I hide from my wife, if I hide my affection from her, if I hide my heart from her, that's not love. Shame will cause me to do that. When I sin and I feel unworthy of being 
her husband or unworthy of being a dad or unworthy of being your friend because of something that I've done, I'll hide. That means I'll come to church and I'll smile and I'll ask you how your week was, but you ain't getting in here. I'm hiding the pain. I'm hiding the sin. I don't confess anything. And it'll wreck me. It'll kill me. It kills intimacy. God provided a way for us. The cross is what broke the cycle. It broke the cycle. Jesus stepped in. When I got to the place, when I went from doubt to unbelief to sin to shame back to doubt, He stepped in right in between the sin and the shame part. And I went from doubt to unbelief to sin and boom, the cross replaced the shame. Because He took my shame on His body. He took my shame. He took my sin. He took yours. He nailed it to a cross and said, Yes, you doubted. Yes, you had unbelief. And yes, you sinned. But shame is on me. I'm picking up that tab. And because of that, instead of going back to the place of doubting, we can enter the place of intimacy again. We can enter the place of faith. We can enter a place of not shame and not doubt. But we know that we know that we know that you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. Because God doesn't want to just rescue us from our enemies and and like, he'll never bother you again. He's like, I'm going to put you at my table because I want you to realize that there's still another voice in your garden. But the reason he's in your garden is so you can constantly put him under your feet. Why did the devil get thrown down to the earth? Why, If he was cast out of heaven, why didn't he just go straight to hell? Why did he get cast down to the earth where he seems... You look at the world today, man, the devil's having a field house. He's got control of everything. He's got control of the government. He's got control of my kid's school. He's got control of my health. He's everywhere. Why don't you just throw him to hell? He was put on the earth to be a spectacle before men. The reason he's on the earth is not to torment you. He's on the earth to be dominated by you. To be the one who was oppressed, not oppressing. But it's not going to happen because you activated your human will and just decided, I'm going to be strong. It happened because you surrendered your heart to the one who crushed the head of the serpent. When you attach yourself to the one who crushed the head of the serpent, you're crushing serpent heads too. He's on this earth not to be someone to be feared, not to be someone to run away from. He's here to have his head crushed day in and day out. To sit at the table of the Lord and to look at him and think, you have no place at this table. There's still a seat here with your name on it that you had, but you left that place. And the difference between Satan and all of his demons and us is they can never get back to this table again. Because Jesus didn't die for them. He died for us. I don't get it. God, we blew it. I put on a fig leaf every day. I'm hiding again. I can see my nakedness. God, I, I don't have what it takes. I mean, 
I try really hard, but I know that I'm going to fall short. I know there's stuff I can do, but I don't have what it takes. I'm ill-equipped. God says, I know. Because I see your nakedness. But I haven't come to put a fig leaf on you. I haven't come to remind you of how naked you are, of how inadequate you are, of all the things that you lack. I'm here to invite you back to my table. I know you're naked, but I don't identify you by your nakedness. You're my son. You're my daughter. And I have set a table for you here in the presence of your enemies. Because I love you. I don't know what tree you've been eating from. There's been seasons in my life when I've been on the way to the tree of life and I went, I'm just going to make a pit stop right here. I'm just going to gnaw on some knowledge and good and evil. I'm going to indulge in my flesh, either through sin or through um, doing less than completely what God told me to do. And it's kind of like if I'm taking Romy to a three-star Michelin restaurant, like somewhere in New York City, because we don't have one here yet, but it's coming, John Telfer. So if I'm on my way to a three-star Michelin restaurant, and we've been looking for it all day, it's literally like going, hey, let's swing by Taco Bell on the way. Let's get some nachos bel grande. They make those anymore? Imagine that. Imagine filling up on top. Some of you teenagers are like, that'd be awesome. You know, honey, those Costco hot dogs are only buck fifty. I can get a soda with it too. Let's just stop there on the way to this really not why in the world would you do that? That's the picture I have in my head every time I go to spend time in prayer and my phone is sitting right next to me, going, just check out what everybody else is doing today. And I'm like, ah, oh, knowledge of good and evil. Or I'm feeling this call to worship, and I'm like, I'm on, on my way to worship. And yet, you know what? It's been a hard week. Just chill out on the couch and watch TV. I had a rough week this week, like a, a, a hard week, a busy week, like a very emotional kind of week, you know, and you're carrying stuff. And it was like Friday at 5 o'clock. I finally got um, my paper in for school, and I got all this stuff. And I was like, it's kind of like, Phew. and there's that real side of you that's just like, let's just cancel everything, sit on the couch, order Mexican, and we'll watch The Chosen, and that'll be fine, okay? I won't, I'll stay off Netflix, watch it. And I, I felt, I just can't wait to worship tonight. We were having it at our house. We were having worship at our house. We had about a dozen people that came over, and we just worshiped and prayed together for like an hour and a half. And man, that fruit tasted so good. I've got a taste for this. I'm not saying taking a night off and ordering Mexican, and there's nothing wrong with that. All I'm saying is, for me, in that moment, that was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God says, no, I have better for you. I have better for you. Spend some time with me in worship. Come back to the place of intimacy. I've prepared this for you. And even though you've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, all have done that. But the gift of God is eternal life. Come on back to the table. The only cost of entry to come back to the table, it's not much. It's just a full surrender of your heart. <laughs> it means that I go, like, I literally am like, Like, in the middle of taking the bite of the fruit of the wrong tree, God's like, hey, he's over here at the table. 
He's not like, put that down. Come on. Come on over. And you got that voice of the enemy that goes, don't go over there. It's way better over here. And then suddenly when you, when you begin to hear the, the draw, you begin to hear the call of the Father, suddenly that thing you've been eating doesn't taste quite as good. That used to fill me. I used to love nachos bel grande. But I got the best over here. It's so intimate that Jesus even said, I want you to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. That's a weird banquet, Okay. But when we take communion together, which we should have done tonight, we'll do it next week, today, we'll do it next week. It's a reminder that this table is so intimate that Jesus just doesn't prepare food for us. He gives himself to us as a sign that I am so intimate with you that I'm going to hold nothing back. My prayer for us this morning, even as we finish this series, is that we would walk past the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We would come to the tree of life. We'd feast on his word, we'd learn from him, and we would sit with him, that we would give ourselves freely to it, and not let sin, not let shame come into the picture when we've eaten from the wrong tree, but to recognize that I've just been gnawing on the wrong fruit, put it down, walk away, repent, and come back to the tree of life. It's still there. It's still available. Let's pray. Father... I thank you for the invitation to this table, the invitation of intimacy that you've given to us. And just right now as we're praying, if you really feel like, like you've been holding on to that wrong fruit, it's got three bites out of it, you're still chewing on it right now. Just even in your own spirit as a prophetic act, just kind of drop it, drop the fruit, spit it out and say, Lord, I'm leaving that behind. I'm no longer indulging my flesh. I'm no longer looking to get my belly filled with things the world has to offer me when I can only get the tree of life from you. I want your life, your Zoe life, your God kind of life that I can only get in an intimate relationship with you. So I repent of what I've done. I thank you for your forgiveness that has made a way, your grace that's empowered me to leave the past behind and to embrace you not a new way of thinking, not a religion, not a belief system to embrace you. The Father waiting at the end of the road, longing for me to come home, who meets me, interrupts my, my speech that I've prepared about all the ways that I've done something bad. You didn't even let the prodigal son finish his speech before you just said, I've already killed a fatted calf. I've already had a party for you. Here's my robe. Here's my ring. Here's my kiss. You're my son. God, let us receive the robe. Let us receive the ring of identity. In Jesus' name, thank you for being a dad who never gives up on us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more resources like this or to find information about our weekly services, visit seashorechurch.com.